Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast and welcome a very special guest all the way from a balmy Gold Coast, Mr. Barrett Kennett. How are you, my friend? I'm fantastic. It's been a, been a good day. Been a great day. And look, we've, we've been talking for about 10, 15 minutes before we press record and maybe I should have said I, I forgot to press record. But anyway, we'll, um, we'll, we'll go over some of the stuff we've already spoken about. But uh, great to have you on your podcast, Barrett. You are the director of... Uh, FCOM, Sales and Marketing Solutions. You're an author, speaker, uh, face-to-face sales pioneer, and also uh, an ex-MMA professional fighter. So lots and lots to talk about today. Just for your, your garden variety CV, yeah. Very boring life. <laughs> well, it's actually quite quite, uh, quite eclectic, let's just say, right? So it's because uh, I was just looking at, because we've been connected on LinkedIn since late November, and Looking at that, and and as a as a differentiator, when you put up in your headline MMA champion, it's like, what? <laughs> it's, it's not something you see every day on the um, on the LinkedIn platform. Yeah, it's a funny. I don't I don't publicize it too much, but I actually it was actually a hyphenated job, and I used I used to put this on government forms because obviously when you fight, you can't. It's you know if you're training really seriously. A normal nine to five is not gonna, you know, not gonna be cases. So you see a lot of guys; they'll either be security guards or drug dealers to support themselves <laughs> in their fighting career. Um, I didn't want to go either way because I don't have the attention span to be a uh, to be a security guard. And I've got, you know, I was raised by you know parents that love me, so I, I kind of, you know, didn't gravitate too much towards the crime side. So I, uh, I met in the middle. I became a stripper. So, so I was actually, so I was a, I was a stripper cage fighter. Through for a good chunk of my my early twenties, it's uh, not not as bad as you think, right? Like male stripping, you don't you don't get the full kit off. You don't go full Monty. You normally just go yeah. down to a what we what we lovingly refer to in the industry as a G banger, right? <laughs> um, and uh, but it's it's more of the performance side. But that was my so I was cage fighter cage fighter by night, stripper by later night. <laughs> it was my <laughs> and with with that maybe you got some pretty good moves in terms of exotic dancing, which may in fact help with the getting out of the way of somebody trying to punch you in the face. Uh, I look, I, I don't know if there's too much, uh, you know, too much correlation. You do. There is something to be said about rhythm in fighting. There's a real, uh, you know, finding a rhythm and keeping a rhythm and and being able to influence the opponent's rhythm. So maybe there was some cross training benefit there. Um, <laughs> but it was more, you know, <laughs> it was just doing two, two weird things at once, I think. Well, I like the fact you're in the first five minutes, you're revealing that um, something true about yourself. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't know what to hide, right? And, well, the upside is, because remember, I, I grew up in uh, in a little Caribbean island. I grew up in, uh, in an island called Bermuda. Um, and I was one of four white kids in my class in school. So yeah. I, I, you know, as, as part of the culture, you kind of pick up dancing, you know, it's kind of like a way of life. So I, uh, I got, I got moves for a white boy, apparently. <laughs> Sensational. So how long did you, because I love to delve into your background and what's led you to do what you do now, but how long did you spend in Bermuda? Bermuda, I know your dad was running an international business there. So yeah, it was a, it was a funny one because normally you hear the rags to riches stories and, and, and we went the opposite. We went riches to rags, right? So he, he launched a, a business. He, he did very well in, uh, you know, it started a security company here in Australia 
and then uh, then opened. He'd always wanted to launch satellites into space. That was just the goal of his, and then he started a company doing that. But didn't you know? He, he didn't do a lot wrong per se, and he and he, he did have good assets and all that. But the industry it was around that time that Enron and WorldCom you know shook up the whole investment industry and that whole yeah. satellite communication industry. The bubble just burst on it. And he just, you know, was one of the casualties. And it's not like he he'd never achieved anything significant after that. Yeah. But we we definitely the 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 next ten years was lean for us for sure. So that was we. So we were in Bermuda until then. Couldn't afford to live in Bermuda anymore. And then so that was I was about. So I, I left Australia when I was about seven. Spent about six years in Bermuda, and then did the last four years of high school in Falls Church, Virginia, in America which okay. is about just garden variety as American as it gets. It's basically exactly how it is in all the movies and shows, except okay. we don't, except we don't break into song. And uh, so that was, <laughs> that was, don't break into yeah. Song. And so, so we, that was, that was, uh, you know, the, the, the whole experience. So the accent's quite muddled. If you can't tell it normally gets under people's skin. They're like, where are you from? It's like, wouldn't you like to know? Um, but I don't normally say American because I, I do, Number one, people do put presuppositions on you. They just assume things about you when you say you're something they know. But also I spent, yeah, I really do consider myself more having grown up in those formative years in, yeah. in Bermuda. So, yeah. so that's sort of the, the background there. And like since, and then when you finished high school back to a, back to Australia and then, and then Gold Coast is where you've settled then? Yeah, bingo. So, so it was, um, yeah, went to, went to university at, uh, on the Gold Coast. Um, uh, and, and obviously, as I'm sure many people who are in business or have started a business or are managing sales teams, a lot of your audience can relate, it was the biggest waste of money of my life. I now I now run I run three businesses. Uh, and, you know, obviously, I've, I've had a lot of you know been very fortunate to have some success. I spent eighty thousand dollars on a four year degree uh, on a business degree. I have not used that thing once. So, um, which is you know a lot of a lot of what drives me and what I do now. I, I learned more in the first three months of my first ever face to face sales role than I did in that entire four year degree. Yeah. And and I just you know and I think the world is finally starting to wake up and see the scam that you know that university assembly line is and and being able to provide alternatives where people have where there's clearly a a trail of success that comes from it is a, is a big driver for me i wake up i wake up a little bit pissed off every day that people don't know how good this industry is for personal and, and business development and that that's a big driver for me yeah it's interesting you, you talk about that and I, I did an engineering degree years and years ago right i'm talking last century and spent four years doing that you know got a distinction yeah blah blah all good spent two years in the industry, then the building industry in Australia went belly up and completely changed direction and ended up in telecommunications, which was then, and then the rest of the career was in sales, hence what I'm doing right now. But if I had to go back and get back into construction or engineering, I'd have to completely go back and learn all the, all the things. But what it did teach me is it did teach me some things about myself and some things you can learn about how to how to think, not specifically what to think. So it's interesting that people go to university today and doing all these different degrees, and most of the time they're taught what to think, not necessarily taught how to think. And there's a big yeah. difference there. And and us running businesses, it's more about how do we find people who know how to think, and it's not you know not necessarily going to be dispelling their their background or their education, but if people can think and if they've got a, an appetite for learning. Then there will be benefit there. You know, it's it's funny. So I hadn't actually put a lot of thought into this, right? But two of the, I'd probably say the three biggest traits that that you know that really really successful business people have, right, is 
urgency, resourcefulness, and curiosity. Mm. And I don't think university, I think they teach the opposite of those three things now that I'm thinking of it. Like it's, you know, the urgency is the total opposite. My university experience was do as little as possible until the last week before it's due and then <laughs> and then see if you get through, right? Uh, and as far as the resourcefulness, it's like resourcefulness is, is either you have to level up to achieve something or like learn or, or pester people or find it, or you have to find an outside of the box way. And in university, very little is out of the box. It's, hey, based on the stuff that's in the box, can you go as deep in the box as you can and find the stuff that we want you to find? Yes. And then, and the curiosity, it's like, again, you curiosity is, a, you're, you hit it on the head, it's an appetite, right? When you're thinking, it's, as a style of thinking, it's an appetite. You've got to learn to, to really like get excited about learning new things. Mm. And when you're spoon-fed information, you don't get into the habit of going and finding it yourself. So I actually think, if anything, now that I think about it, university is really doing a disservice for people who want to be successful at running their own business. Yeah, and because when you think about it, very rarely, I mean, maybe maybe in some of the MBA programs now, they do start talking about running your own business and, and, and entrepreneurship per se, but... Yeah, run, run, by, run by teachers that have never run a business. Well, that's, that's <laughs> it. Cool. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because I reflect on the engineering degree that my wife and I did, and we had uh, lecturers who came from industry, which were fantastic because they actually applied the theory to actual projects. In this case, it was building projects. But then we had tutorials that were run by tutors who, no disrespect to them, but they'd come from a foreign country and they'd never worked in the industry in Australia. So they were talking from a theoretical point of view. Yeah, all, all they'd done is their bachelor's degree. Yes. <laughs> now trying to get through their, their postgrad. Yeah. So there was, yeah. no, there was no practical application. So, yeah. hey, for people listening to this, what I'm, what I'm not saying, you might correct me, you might have a different view is, yeah. Hey, education is great, but it needs to be practical so that when you learn something, you've always got to be looking for, okay, if I learn this, how can I implement this straight away? How yeah. can I implement this to get a result? hundred percent. And I, But I think, look, I mean, for relevant fields, I, you know, I'm not disparaging university as a whole. You want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, you know, you want to something where you actually, you know, there's a lot of risk in just going out and doing it without the, the necessary yeah. education. That's relevant, right? But for something like business, you're going to learn way more on the job. It's, but I think that's been one of the big, you know, one of my, the best differentiators for me in my speaking business, right? Doing the keynote speeches and a bit of coaching is because most of the people I'm up against, unless they're like a pro athlete or something like that, most of them are just consultants, right? Yeah. And and it's all theory, but and but a lot of their credibility comes from the businesses they've been able to help. And that's not to disparage them for that, but for me, right? Because I'm I'm doing it, right? I'm still doing it. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm you know without you know tooting my horn, but we have won awards for the company culture, our ability to recruit mm -hmm. talent, or be able to retain talent, right? And and train you know people and get them up to speed, right? It's uh, you know I'm I'm currently doing it and doing it very well in one of the hardest industries, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know it, to recruit for and retain for and produce consistent results in, right? Yeah. And so my dad he always has a saying, right? He goes, uh, he, he says, what's the definition of consultant and he says it's a it's someone it's still sorry pardon my uh you know my riskiness here but he says what's the definition of a consultant it's someone who can tell you 48 ways to bring a woman to climax but doesn't know any women <laughs> <laughs> so all, all the theory <laughs> probably none of the practicality <laughs> love it so um on that point let's pivot <laughs> <laughs> this, could, this could go anywhere. <laughs> it could go anywhere, absolutely. And as you saw before, I don't have a list of questions at all. So this is this is just how we roll here. Um, 
So you run you run FCOM, sales and marketing. So you've you've spent uh, a number of your formative years in Bermuda. You finished high school in Virginia. You've come back and done university on the Gold Coast. Uh, you've got into the stripping game and then started fighting. Um, love love to know what was the catalyst for you to jump into this sales and marketing game. So you've created FCOM. Um, was there a pivotal moment? Was there something that just was an evolution over a period of time? What what got you into this, and effectively, what's led you to what you do today? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question because so what what gets you into sales, right? It, you know, it, it's never like you never wait. You know, you ask a kid, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" He goes, "I want to be a fireman." It's like not you know, one goes, "I want to be in sales," right? Like it's not it's not something that you you ever you know, the universe always guides you into sales. Very rarely do you just, unless you had a parent that was, mm. you know, that's encouraged you to do so, which is, you know, great when that happens, right? You always stumble into it. And for me, I, I ended up breaking my hand. So, and hand injuries are, uh, you know, they're the worst for, you know, especially for fighting because you, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but they're kind of relevant for, <laughs> right? And, and it's like a six month recovery. And so I was like, well, I may as well, you know, do something. And I'd, I'd done a little bit of work in the nightclubs, um, but that didn't work out. Um, and I just went, I ran into a guy at randomly at the casino and he, you know, and he literally just said, it turns out he's a voracious gambling addict. So it's not that rare that, that he was at the casino. So, so it's not too university, but, but we just spotted each other from across the room. And it was like, you know, it was almost like the universe had just pushed us together. We just went up to each other, you know, and just said, and he goes, I go, Hey, how you doing? He goes, yeah, how you doing? And I go, good. And he's like, he goes, are you in sales? And I go, no. And he goes, you look like you should be. I go, thank you. He goes, do you want to be? And I was like, Okay. And then I got my first job in sales. So, wow. um, and, and it turned out I was very, you know, I, I was quite adept at it early on. It was one of those, you know, some things you're just a natural at, um, doesn't mean that it, you know, I haven't had to learn a lot either. Right. Because, you know, the old, the old hard work beats talent adage, but, yeah. uh, but it was just something I really enjoyed. And I found that I, you know, I, I did it for about nine months and, I, I made the most money I'd ever made. I'd learned the most I'd ever learned. I'd, I'd had a lot of fun. Like it was the most fun I'd ever had in a job. It was the only yeah. job I'd ever done that felt like a sport. And, um, but I had a lot of external pressure to, you know, go and get a real job, right? Because yeah. it was back then it was full commission and it wasn't, it didn't have the profile it has now. And so I went and used my degree and, and did a few other things. And I bounced around for three years doing jobs I didn't love and didn't like only to, to you know, burn myself out. Yeah. And then I'd run out of money and I I needed to do something. And I was like, well, how, you know, what was the thing? And that's, you get very reflective because I was 27. And at that time, and I'm very fortunate that I've got a lot of, I've got a very successful network. A lot of my friends are very successful. And so that pressure was on me of like, I, I probably should pick something because I'm falling behind now, Yeah. which, yeah. And there's, there's a lot to be said about that. And I got back into, you know, back into face-to-face -face sales just, you know, a, a friend that was running a company pretty much gave me a, a really good deal to to start doing it, to, you know, enticing to to do so because he sort of saw the potential of working with me. And um, it's like when you're, you know, you're, you're dating that perfect girl in high school, but you're just too young and you got to go and date some other girls and you got to go and see the world. And, you know, the chemistry was right, but the timing wasn't. Yeah. And and fortunately, you know, three years later, I bumped into her and she was single. And now we're, you know, now we're going to get married and have kids and all that kind of stuff. Right. So 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 that was, I guess, the the long story short of, you know, of getting back into the industry. And then I really once I realized because I'd had quite a, you know, quite as you said, I had a very eclectic 
life up until then. I'd done so many different things. Mm. And it was really apparent to me after uh, uh, I went to a conference and they did the, the Hernan Cortez burn the boat speech about how you, you know, you, 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 you are, we take this place over or we die. That's it. There's no going home. And, and really understanding that I had to, when things got, you know, boring or tough or difficult, or I'd started failing, that wasn't go do something else you're good at or go do something fun. It's double down and stick in there and become the best at something. And that's, that's sort of where we are now. Stay in the course pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just deciding that. No, And it's funny once you, and, and I hope your listeners get something out of this. Like once you really, really commit and not, and don't just say you commit, but you commit with every ounce of your body to something. It, it actually gives you a lot of confidence mm. and, and it's a really interesting, you know, I guess thought, but for me, I, when I set these goals for the business and I know what I'm going to, what I want to do, there's no time limit on them because yeah. I'm all in, I could be 70. So I've got, let's say I'm 33 now. I've got, you know, and, and let's say I'll go till I'm 73. I've got another 40 years to get this thing done. That's a long time. It gives you a lot of confidence, right? And there's, you know, obviously you do want to have deadlines and a sense of urgency, but mm-hmm. I just know, I know in my heart that I'll never quit because I said I'm going to stick at it. And that then makes me way more confident. I'm very indifferent about the results because I'm like, well, it's going to happen one day. It may as well happen now. Yeah. And the, and the key thing there is, and, and you've probably read The Infinite Game from Simon Sinek because he talks a lot about the fact that finite thinkers who have like a monthly or a quarterly or a yearly sort of metric and everything's focused on that because if you don't hit your target, you haven't succeeded. Um, If you start to take the lid off that and say, well, hang on a second, I'm in this game forever, right? I'm going to continue to play the game and evolve the game and bring new players into the game. My results will continue to happen, but I'm playing the long game here, right? So you almost remove yourself from any urgent pressure, have to get the results today, even though the scoreboard will say you're either winning or you're not. If you're there for the long game, you're probably going to be a lot, you get a lot better results over the longer term. I think so. And I think there's, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek. Um, and, and mainly for, for, I guess, as, a, as an overarching concept with him, most of what he says is, or, or teaches, I should say, is driven out of selflessness, right? Mm. There, it's, it's about service, right? And, and part of that infinite game that he talks about is, is about, you know, me, not just staying in the game, but making the game better. And when doing something that you're good at and that you love for someone else's benefit or for many other people's benefit, that's purpose. That's where you yeah. find purpose and meaning. And so he's, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally providing people with purpose when they subscribe to that theory. And and I, there's a lot to be said about doing it, not just for you. Mm. And the upside is when you're doing it, a lot of people, when they sell, you know, especially if they're selling their own business, they, because they believe in what they do so much, there, you know, it's very easy to sell because passion, you know, it, passion is one of the only ways that you can be energetic in a sales pitch and still seem indifferent. Mm. Because if you if you lack that passion, but you're energetic, it just comes across manipulative. And and the moment people start doing it for them and their wallet and their or they they start hiring new staff and now they've got all these expenses and they're selling to make these expenses, their conversion rates will plummet because yeah. their intentions gone out the window. And so I think there's a lot to be said about selflessness, not just in what you're trying to achieve with your business, but also even the nitty gritty of selling. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a post I read yesterday about the difference between, um, oh, there was one one word, but the the key the key key word that I grabbed was conviction. So if somebody has con, oh, that's what it was, conviction and charisma. What comes first? And the the interesting topic was, well, if you're really convicted with what you do. 
as a natural consequence, you'll become more charismatic versus you're going to have people out there who are quite charismatic, but they don't, they're not necessarily as convicted. So there's, there's a little bit of a veil they put over what they do. And people, particularly in Australia, people's BS meters are pretty good. And so when you're talking about selling in particular, I happen to believe that it's all about service and sales is the ultimate form of service, right? And we're all selling in some degree, but it's about what you can provide somebody else, not what you can get. So if you're convicted on being able to provide a service that will enhance the greater good, enhance an experience for another person or another organization, that will naturally come through because you're not wedded to the perfect outcome. So whether you and I do business today or not is not the point. But the fact is, if I can provide service to you and you can provide service to me, at some point, there may well be a natural consequence of some sort of transaction, which is great. If not, we continue the dialogue. And, and I'm a big believer in I'm a big believer in doing the right thing and making mm. that part of your identity as being someone that does the right thing. But as far as what you're saying with you know saying that that what comes first, charisma or conviction? Absolutely, conviction. And there's a there's an old Greek saying. It's by a philosopher called Epictetus, right? And he says uh, he says the world stands aside for the man who knows where he's going. And there is something, there's just something that your aura, your energy, when you are living on purpose with a purpose and your and your eyes are fixed on something meaningful, mm. that people do just gravitate. They either gravitate to you or they get the hell out of the way. And <laughs> it really does, it makes a really big difference. And so yeah. I think that it's a very valid point to say the conviction creates the charisma you know, there's obviously still skills you can learn with charisma, but it makes a big difference. So, okay. so that's that's a very interesting you know point to make. the The other thing that I uh, I think is is worth understanding for sales, right? I saw a really a really interesting uh, just a little snippet from a, a, an interview, and the guy he called it the 120 principle. And the idea is that, and if I'm selling something, right, I need to genuinely in my heart believe that I'm giving you a hundred bucks, and I'm yeah. asking for twenty bucks in return. Yeah, yeah. And that and that that is that is a phenomenal philosophy. And yet, how many salespeople out there sell it for a hundred but give twenty dollars worth of value? <laughs> Over promising, under delivering. And do you know where that applies most? Right? Do you know where that applies most? It's in recruitment. It's yes. not even in sales. It's in recruitment. The people, employers will get people in and offer them the world, and 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 you know, but but not. And this is another Simon Sinek one. It's the celery test, right? It's, yeah. If I say I'm a fit and healthy person, you look in my basket, you better see celery. If you see coffee and cigarettes and so not coffee, but chocolate, cigarettes, ice cream, all that, you know, I'm full of it. And, and a lot of employers and business owners, they'll, they're, they don't spend any time remaining congruent with their practices. They say they care about their staff, but their commission structure is all dodgy and, and, and there's no transparency or the promotions are all, you know, political and you're waiting for someone to quit or get fired or die for something yeah. to open up or people get led along and they move the goalposts. It's like, it, it, you know, when, when I'm, the, what, what gives me such power when I recruit is I know that if you're somebody who wants to learn wants to make money and wants to be part of something with, you know, a great environment of great people, then you're an idiot if you don't take a job with me. And, mm -hmm. and if you don't see it, I, you know, I'm, I will, I'll make sure that you understand that in a, in an indifferent way, because I know what I deliver. I know yeah. that any person who does eight weeks in my company, their life's going to be changed forever. Yeah. And being able to know that not just because of your thoughts, but because of the actions that your business consistently undertakes and yeah. always passes that salary test that really makes a big difference. Yeah. And that's a great segue to an element I'd love to delve into because you've just been awarded um, 
a great culture. Was it what was the survey? Best, great, best place to best, work in Australia. Yeah. Best place to work in Australia. Um and so I'd love to delve into your thoughts on building a, a phenomenal culture where you've got people because at the moment I think you see there's about 42 people in your business. Mm. Um and people who'll be listening to this will be sales leaders or or people who got people responsible they're responsible for grappling with and thinking about how do I build a better engaged culture? How do I build a higher performing culture? So what are some things, not so much giving away trade secrets, but what are some key principles that you've put in place that has led you to be awarded? And I'm sure you're not doing it for the award. You're doing it for the greater good and and embellishing the company and, and thriving, getting the company to thrive. What are some things that you have put in place that has led to your people saying, you know what, this is a phenomenal place to work and I can't see myself working anywhere else? Yeah, that's a that's a, a very flattering question, but thank you. Right, I, I think that the and and as far as you know, uh, divulging trade secrets, I don't care, right? Because I I know that you know it's it's not about the ideas, it's about the execution. Yeah. And no, people don't love it like I love it. And if you don't love it like I love it, you're not going to execute the way I execute. And I don't mean that from a place of of you know or from a lack of humility, right? I just know that my you know, the, the business isn't about ideas, it's about execution. Um, so I'm happy to give everything away, right? The the main things, right? My my rules for 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 just building a great business in general, because remember, especially traditionally in something like face-to-face sales is what we specialize in, the normal turnover for a face-to-face sales role, whether that's door-to-door, shopping centers, business-to-business, right? It's about 60 to 70 days for yeah. a normal company in our industry right? Our average length of employment is about 292 days. So, so already we're what six or seven times, you know, mm. you know, better when it comes to retention. And it's yeah. like, okay, how do you get your retention good in the, in one of the hardest things to retain it? So I've been playing the game on hard for a long time. And the, the, the three axioms, right? The, the three absolute truths that you need to be maintaining consistently. Number one is are people having fun, mm-hmm. right? Two, are people making money? And three, are people growing? Are they growing either, you know, are they progressing in the company into leadership roles? Or at the very least, are they developing new skills and habits and becoming someone stronger? So so that's, those are my three golden rules for culture. Um, I think to delve into them, it's, as far as are people having fun, what creates fun? Dopamine. So how do you create dopamine in a role? You give them recognition, which also gives you serotonin, right? But recognition, so good jobs, right? A lot of companies are very stingy with their praise yeah. and their public recognition. You you set you. I, I have a I call it no Groundhog Day. So no, you know the movie Groundhog Day. They where he wakes up and every day is the same day. Yeah. Don't do that, right? Every day has got to have a different. So maybe I throw up a different bonus that day, or maybe we meet out of the maybe we meet on the beach for the day. Right. Maybe we, you know, maybe we do a uh, a knockoff target. So if we hit our numbers as a company that day, everyone goes home early. Right. Yeah. So no two days being the same is very important. Um, other other ways to keep it fun, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of challenging people, setting them goals because being on a path is very important, making sure they all have goals, making sure the team's working towards something. So that's making sure that's all goes into the the vibe and the energy and making sure it's fun and hiring fun people. Don't hire people you don't like. 
It's like, it's such a no brainer. Like if I don't enjoy being around, if I, if I spend two hours with this person and I'm drained, what do you think they're going to do in an eight hour shift next to somebody that's a top performer? Right. So, so that's, you know, just not hiring negative, boring people is a big one. Um, so that's the fun component. Making money is okay. Is everyone's skills or are everyone's skills where they need to be? So we do a lot of skills training and checking the numbers and making sure we're really thorough on that. Yeah. And are people getting enough pitches out? which again is about accountability. And it's not about getting people in trouble. It's about getting in early and getting in nice and saying, hey, I noticed that you'd, uh, you'd missed your numbers today. What happened? And they're like, oh yeah, but I made the sales. It's like, yeah, that's okay. But the sales are a result of the work ethic, mm-hmm. right? You know, let's let's make sure we fix this. So do you understand why it's important? And if they agree with the logic, with the why, then it's their idea to do it. And they don't, you know, then they'll, they'll do it rather than yeah. just, oh, yes, boss, right? So that's how you're making sure they're making money. And obviously just having a generous commission structure is always really good as well. Um, and not capping the commissions. I think cap commissions is the silliest thing in the world. It's because all it is, it's designed for, for managers who aren't selling not to get upset that the sellers are out earning them. And it's like, <laughs> well, like, that's how is that going to help you scale, right? The uh... sellers should be out earning you because they're working harder, right? And this is from someone who used to sell and now manages, right? Um, so that's it. And then the last one is, are they growing? Which is invest in your training. Learn learn the things. Don't just rely on a let's throw it at the wall and see what sticks model, which so many sales managers do, mm-hmm. right? Because then you're like, how many people in your experience, because you obviously, I know you put a lot of effort into that with your experience, right? Is, is how many people have wasted good talent that just needed a couple of weeks of actual training. The, the model of go shadow this good performer for three weeks and see if you pick it up. It's like, who's going to enjoy that? Well, it's interesting you say that. My my experience with corporate training is often a sales leader will get, uh, like a person like me will come in and do some sales training, right? And they think the sales training is the elixir to solve all the problems. But it's it's only, it's only a symptomatic um, fix. The problem is the sales leader is not involved in the training itself because they're, they're the ones sitting, navel-gazing, looking at doing, doing all the forecasting. But the, it's the implementation after the training. So you mentioned the the shadowing. I, I actually personally believe that shadowing is a great way to learn on the job, but it has to be mixed with some sort of growth plan, yeah. some sort of training what program. They do. The, here, here, here is skill number one, skill number two, and skill number three. Watch this great performer and yes. let know when you see them do those skills. And then let's reflect on that. That's 100%. it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah, there's no follow through. There's no, they, yeah, you're right. They think it's this panacea that's going to cure all their problems. The, the number one thing I get in terms of inbound leads for my speaking, they go, hey, can you give us a hand with our sales scripts? I'm like, give, give you a hand with your sales scripts. Like, like, do you think the script is why you're not making as many sales as you like? Like, it's the fact that your your salespeople are uninspired, unengaged, and not, you know, you know, having any skills. You have no frameworked sales education. You know, this is not a this is not a thirty minute job. This is you know, like <laughs> I, just, I can't just give you a piece of paper with different words on it and change your results. Like, uh, it's it's amazing though how some people just think it's so it's so logic like that. Just, and if you come in and change my scripts, that'll be everything, right? And we'll tick the box. And when they realize the 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 needle hasn't been moved at all, they think, what's wrong? And then they blame you. And it's, it's a lot of why I, I really try to stick mostly to the keynotes because yeah. I'd rather just give you, you know, give you the stuff and then, you know, and, and you know that that's part of the agreement. Yeah. And when people follow up on it, you inherently in that agreement, you know, it's you. Yeah, because they just they, they don't yeah they want to point the finger and say well this you know 
you, you know, we, but the worst part about it, right, is, is when you do come in, let's say you do come in and re do their scripts and give them a bit of training, the next two weeks, results will go up. But results won't go up because of the content you give them. Results will come up because the staff have dopamine because something's new. Yes. Right? But, you know, if you really, like, surely there's more you can extrapolate from that. If 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 you if what you're trying to create is dopamine, let's think of clever ways to give people dopamine. Let's set different prizes. Let's give them random intermittent rewards. Let's mm -hmm. do positive feedback loops where we'll, we'll teach them something, and the person who excels at that will get a little prize at, at that skill rather than the results. And yeah. then everyone's excited to learn the next thing. They're more excited when it works. You know, there's, there's a lot more that you can do to, to produce results, specifically just harnessing dopamine. So Oh, absolutely. 100%, 100%. Which leads me to the next question in terms of, um, you know, you, you're, you've got a background in, in fighting. So you've, you've migrated it and now you're running, running companies. Um, what are some of the key lessons? Because I want to delve into the leadership now in terms of running, running the company, providing the example, creating that culture where you've been recognized as a great place to work. What are some key lessons that you've learned from your time as an MMA champion fighter? that you can now utilize as a way to expand what you're doing, but also create that great culture that you've got within the business? Uh, look, you know, you could, there's there's internal things that I've learned and, and who I've become in the process that, you know, there's an old Brian Tracy quote that I really love. He says, uh, he says, your second million dollars is the easiest million dollars you'll ever make, right? Because in order to get your first million, you have to become the person who can make a million dollars. But for your second one, you're already that. You've already yeah. become that person. It's easy. Uh, and so I think a lot of the fighting, you know, internally, it just shaped me to be more, you know, understand that I had to show up and be consistent, that I had to, you know, that competition is a good driver, that, you know, just to have that discipline, to have the the consistency of your mornings in particular was really big for me. You know, so, so there was a lot of stuff that I learned personally. But then as far as translating that into business, um, I think, you know, obviously hiring people with a sport background because they have all of those things as well, right? That they're, they're accountable, that they're, that they're consistent, they're committed, they're competitive, mm -hmm. they're disciplined. So, so I'll always, you know, I'll always try and ascertain that in an interview. I'll, I'll say something along the lines of, look, uh, you know, one thing we've realized is if you want a winning team, you need a team full of winners. So what have you done in your life outside of work to demonstrate you're an achiever? Have you won any sort of competitions or anything? Yeah. And really sort of see if they've either done, uh, you know, sports, martial arts, military or dance. Right. I think those are really, really, you know, valuable, you know, prerequisites for a good, you know, it doesn't mean you need to have done those things to be good in sales. But I just try not to hire people who haven't won something because because it, it's not this is not a, a, the kind of job. Sales is not a job that you punch your ticket. You don't get paid for your time in sales, even though we do pay salaries, which not I know yeah. not every sales company does. But again, that's a congruence thing, right? We want to, we yeah. say we're a company that cares about our staff. Our yeah. systems need to back that up, even if it's riskier, right? Yeah. Um, not that I have anything against commission. I, I actually prefer being commission only because when I when I was fighting, I wasn't good until I got hit in the head, and then I realized I was in a fight and I I perform well. And and getting to you know starting your day and making zero dollars, I'm on zero dollars right now. That was the chunk punch in my head that was like, yeah. oh, okay, let's go. Right. But obviously different strokes for different folks in that regard. So. So, yeah. So I think that, you know, finding people with a with a sport background is probably the biggest thing I learned from having done having you know done sports at a high level. It's interesting. I was reflecting as you were talking. Uh, I think I mentioned this before we um, we press record. I employed a lady from um, with a ballet, a ballet background um, in a sales role many years ago. 
and I was uh, I was criticised, I was judged, uh, I was hammered by my peers and also my one-up manager for getting somebody who wasn't experienced and who and she was a very attractive young lady. I think she was about twenty-one at the time. But what they didn't realise is she'd been training to be a ballerina since the age of like five or six, right through primary school into high school, training twice a day. And so when you talk about getting attributes from sporting arenas and what you've done outside of, of work, that tells you a lot about the person's character because what I also knew was she was disciplined, she was courageous, she was curious, she was teachable, she was coachable, and she went on to be one of the best salespeople. Like and and thankfully, I had people come back and say, "Well, you know what? Good hire, well done." Yeah. <laughs> I knew I knew she was always going to be successful. And, and you got especially especially ballet and contemporary. It's dog eat dog. Like it's yeah. so competitive, and there's no friends in dancing. Like it's the it's not like even when you're fighting, right? Like like there's there are team sports and individual sports, but even as a fighter, you're still part of your gym and your gym all gets behind you, right? With dance, not only do you have to outwork everyone, but it's Game of Thrones and you got to play the politics of it as well. It's that it breeds tough people, man. So I got a lot hats off to to any dancer, high level dancer. I'm I'm you know. Uh, not that not that my experience in dancing was anything remotely like that. Mine was, you know, <laughs> I was slightly different, but uh, but no, I, I have a lot of appreciation for it for sure. I <laughs> oh, love it, love it. So as we look um, into twenty twenty four, we're at the start of the year. We're in January twenty twenty four. For a lot of people, can can be if they choose it to be their most exceptional year that they've ever achieved. Uh, what are some things that you're looking at this year? What are some, if you're talking to sales people, but also sales leaders right now, which you are, because people are listening to this, what are some key things to keep in mind uh, for 2024 from a from a selling point of view, but also from a leadership point of view? And it could be what you're seeing in your in your marketplace. It could be some things that you've been grappling with. Um, it could just be some ideas you've got the, for 2024. Yeah, look, the I mean, personal goals. I I'm it's just scale. I want to scale. I want to grow. Right, where where especially when you run, you know, when you when you run because you don't scale through the back end of a company, right? You scale through sales, yeah. and so being able to get that next generation of leaders to that next level. That's that's really the biggest thing. Like my all of my direct reports are stars. Like they're they're killers. They're all on track for you know at least three hundred k this year. They're you know really really high level guys. Yeah. Um, and and hopefully we we you know we've got some good female talent coming through the team as well. That just it'll happen. You know my my direct reports besides the my operations manager who's a you know she's a she's incredible. Um, they're mostly guys. Um, but so, so where within that, it's like, okay, for me personally, what am I really doubling down on this year that it's, it's about empowering leaders, right? It's empowering leaders. And the way that you empower leaders is you stop telling them what to do, right. And stop giving them the answers, right. One of the things that I, I find with most businesses, when I do go in and speak or consult with them, and they're just, they're stuck at a certain headcount and they can't get past that amount. It's like, okay, cool. I know exactly what you're doing. You're, you're giving them the answers. And I go, well, what, do you, what do you mean? What else am I supposed to do? And this is the analogy I use. I say, look, if you were to drive to a friend's house, right? You drive to a friend's house and you use a GPS every single time. You use your maps on your phone every time, right? Let's say, for instance, you're out, your phone's dead and you've got no way to charge it. You have no idea how to get to your mate's house, mm. right? And that's where a lot of, every time your, your staff are going to come to you and say, hey, this has happened. What do I do? And if you give them that answer, you're being the GPS. Their brain's just, you know, problem, go to the boss, yep. right? And that's, you know, how are you going to create self-sufficient problem solvers or, you know, to make it a little less PG, people who can wipe their own ass, 
right? How are you going to have that if you do, if they're not capable of solving their own problems? And so what I'll always do, I'll just flip it right back on them. And this is what I've gotten my my managers to start getting good at now is they say, hey, look, you know, this is this has happened, you know, this has happened, or you know, I've had I've had three blanks in a row, three three of the same objection in a row. What do I do? And you, instead of going, well, how about you do this? It's like because that's quicker and easier. Spend yes. that extra five ten minutes and go. Well, what do you think you should do? And now all of a sudden they it's like, ah, oh, well, and and more often than not, they actually know the right thing to do. They just it's just easier to come to you, and they don't have to wear the accountability of being wrong, mm. right? But eventually, if you keep at it, eventually that, that that'll then turn into, hey, this has happened. This is what I'm thinking of doing. And then it'll turn into this has happened. This is what I did. And then they just won't contact you at all. Right. And that's self-sufficiency is people. The, the, the definition of a leader is someone who doesn't need to be told what to do. Yeah. So that's what you're creating with that. There is a, the, the next level of that. And this is what we're really working on with my, my, my direct reports at the moment is we've called it letting the captains call the place. Right. So it's an, it's an it's an extenuation of what do you think you should do? But yeah. it's where you actually present the leaders with the problem. So let's say they're you know they they've got a manager under them and their manager is now training staff of their own you notice one of these staff that they're training has done something wrong where a lot of managers will do they'll just call that rep immediately and say hey you screwed up here do you know why and they'll do a good job of you know teaching them and all that but really what they should have done is notice that went wrong and then said to that mid you know the manager in the in that middle tier to say to go hey by the way did you notice that bobby did this thing wrong, right? Uh, what's your plan of attack to fix that? Yeah. And, and and again, it's not saying, hey, Bobby did this wrong, do this. It's Bobby did this wrong, right? Which is getting them in the habit of noticing things that go wrong and solving and looking for problems. But that's where real consistency comes from is getting them before they become problems, right? And then say, what's your plan of attack to fix that? And now it's it's just an extenuation of getting them solving their own reps problems. Now they become better leaders as well. So that's probably the biggest thing that I'm personally working on within my business. Yeah. Um, and I think the 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 other thing as far as what other business owners will, especially in sales and sales leaders, are ubiquitously I hear, especially after COVID, it's really hard to find talent. It's yeah. you know recruitment and retention is really hard, yeah. and that also that also combines with the 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 millennial mentality right so so this is a crazy piece of data that more m- millennials are more likely to quit than ask for a raise they're that you know non-confrontational or that unused to asking for what they want because yeah. you know in in their generation everything's been given to them right and i don't say that with any disdain it's just that's you know that's how things <laughs> are right but they're more likely to quit their job than ask for a raise and so mm-hmm. really understanding that they're much more feelings based than logic based they're not grateful for their positions anymore mm-hmm. right there was an there's an old stand up comedian i saw it's not even that old it's quite recent he was a um a, a latin american guy right and uh, and he says he goes i'm going to do a thing it's called australian math i want to do some australian math with you guys right so i've got 10 days of annual leave and uh eight days of sick leave there's seven weeks left in the year before the public holidays how many how soon should i start taking my sick and annual days right now if you know the answer to that you're australian (laughs) 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 because me like i'm an immigrant 
We don't do that because we're grateful. We don't quit our jobs because we're grateful, right? And I really, I thought that was really funny. So, so just understanding that you've really got to invest into how you make your staff feel, and whether you resent that or not is irrelevant. The data mm-hmm. doesn't care, right? You've got to be investing in how you make your staff feel, and if that means involving them in more of the in more of the procedural discussions, so that they feel when that we're setting new rules and systems as a team, they feel like they've got stake in the company. That yeah. might be one. Whether it's it's doing a monthly bitch sesh, we do that all the time. We just, we just get all the leaders in one room and go, guys, can you just bitch? Just tell me all the things you don't like about me, about the managers, about the company, about the systems. What's pissing you off? And we'll spend half an hour digging into what's pissing you off and, and what do you think we should do to fix it, yeah. right? Or just you know, just giving more recognition, keeping things more fresh. All the stuff I alluded to earlier. Yeah, that's probably my my best advice for retention is just understand you're playing an emotions game now, not a not a an expectations game. Absolutely. And and the and the key thing there is when you do have those feedback sessions, it's critical to then do something about it. Now it's not and, and there's differences. There's there's bitching for the sake of bitching, and there's bitching with an undertone of I want to actually help this company get better. So there's there's obviously a distinction between the two, but to have that sort of feedback where people feel comfortable and open to share that sort of stuff. That's that's gold because that will enhance their level of retention anyway because I've got to say the vast majority of organizations and the vast majority of leaders out there do not do that. They'll put the framework in place. They'll say, "Hey, give us an employee engagement survey." And they'll say, "Oh shit, that's not what we will, what we wanted to see." But we did the survey. Why aren't people happy? We surveyed them. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? Um <laughs> The other key point which I want to to finish off on is the key around empowering leaders, and that is I'm really big on creating independence within any organization, particularly as a sales leader. I learned the hard way. I created codependency in the first 90 days as a sales leader and then we burnt myself out. Why? Because I thought the way to build trust was to solve my team's problems and do everything for them, to spoon feed them. That was the that was the antichrist. Pay for it, right? And because it, it's quicker as well, right? It's quicker. To it was quicker, problems. but it's yeah. but you're but you're it's like renting instead of buying. Like invest into helping them get good at problem solving, and then you've got a self sufficient asset. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. So yeah. build independence. <laughs> be open. Create an environment where people can give you feedback that they've invested in the company, and you'll find that your your team and your organization will will fast track. Absolutely. So, mate, this has been. Um, I'm conscious of your time because it's um, it's now eleven o'clock on the Gold Coast. So, um, greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast. For people who want to know a little bit more about you, Barrett, but also Fcom and what you do, where's the best place for them to connect and learn? Yeah, you can just you. you can just Google Fcom. So E F C O double M. Uh, that's you know if you if you want to if you're interested in the business or in partnering with us or potentially working with us, you know, more than happy to to have a chat. Um, for me personally, my my personal Instagram is Barrett underscore underscore James. Um, and the TikTok's actually blowing up a bit. Oddly enough, the, the most traction I'm getting is LinkedIn. So if you're a LinkedIn nerd, it's just Barrett Kennett. Um, and if you're a, if you're a book junkie, uh, I've my my book is called Leadership in Sales: Four Simple Steps to More Scale, More Sales, and More Success. Um, that one's been uh, that, that one's been really uh, you know just just ticking along nicely in terms of sales, but we get a lot of good feedback because it's literally there's not a lot of content out there specifically for sales leaders and sales managers, so it's very practical, very easy to to put in. So so that's all nice. that's all me. Thank and you. Where's the best place to get that, my friend? Uh, just Amazon. Just Google it. Amazon, Amazon will have it. 
Um, the the ebook itself is really cheap. I'm just putting it out for a dollar at the moment, just because I yeah. really like the expenditure. If you want a hard copy, obviously that's you know it's going to cost me some money, so yeah. pass that forward. But yeah. um, you know, my my hope is that it just you know that sales, in my opinion, is the best personal development avenue in the world for people with an above average desire to be successful. And the more that I can be equipping not only my team but other people in sales, you know, to to be able to do that to be able to provide that opportunity for people where they actually are growing and feeling good about it and enjoying themselves, you know, it's just going to make recruitment better for all of us because, you know, there are, you know, the idea of success, right. Is traditionally people are like, I'll oh, be a doctor and be a lawyer. And I know you could probably speak to this as well. Like, you know, most of my friends are doctors and lawyers, right. Mm-hmm. And if the, if the metrics are of success or are you happy and enjoying yourself and are you making money, I'd venture to say that most sales managers and business owners have more money and make and have more fun than most doctors and lawyers but <laughs> but but because there's not the, the clear perception of yeah. that progression people don't you know people should be lining up around the corner to work with with you know reputable sales companies and i think that that's a lot of the things that i'm trying to achieve is by increasing the public profile and that comes from educating the leaders to make sure that those results are consistent so um so hopefully you know your listeners got a lot out of this hopefully you've enjoyed the chat as well Mate, it's been a fantastic conversation. As you were as you were talking there, I'm thinking, what's 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 a what's a catchy topic like uh, headline for this particular episode? And I might I might think from from stripper and MAI MMA fighter to exceptional sales leader. Yeah, stripper cage fighter to award winning sales CEO. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> like my head needs to get any bigger, Darren. <laughs> Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks for being connected on LinkedIn, and uh, we'll have to uh, we'll stay connected. We might have to do a second one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, mate. Well, mate. Thanks, buddy. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.